Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. So we are working our way through Acts. We're going to finish Acts chapter 9, and then we're going to go right into Acts chapter 10 next week. And actually, the story today, the scripture that I'm going to read to you today that's going to bring us to the end of Acts chapter 9 sets the stage for Acts chapter 10. So Acts chapter 9, um, beginning in verse 32. So obviously today we're going to talk about miracles. We're going to see the account of two miracles. A miracle is defined by Webster as an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. I like that. Wikipedia defines a miracle as an event not explicable by natural or scientific laws. And of course, Wikipedia being a modern invention goes on to talk about it could be something from in a spiritual nature or it, it defines it in a way that doesn't just specifically point to the true and living God because that's where miracles come from. The miracles we see recorded in Scripture are events that go beyond human ability or natural law. Miracles are not just overcoming very difficult situations. A miracle reveals divine intervention into a circumstance that is beyond human ability. Miracles are means by which God reveals His will and accomplishes His purpose. C.S. Lewis in writing about miracles, said this, Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. In other words, the miracle is all around us. It's so pervasive, it's so present that we can't see it. So God does things like writing in much smaller letters so that we can see the miracles, so that we can discern the miracles. But never think that miracles aren't present. They are present all around us. Every breath you take is a miracle. The life you live is a miracle. The world you live in is a miracle. I'm going to say that one more time because I think it's such a profound description of what miracles are. Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. This is the hope we have in Christ, that he will give us eyes to see the miracle we need. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32 now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas and had, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and 
turned to the Lord. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. So Tabitha is the Aramaic name. Dorcas is the Greek name. It's a word that means gazelle. So this is a woman who was named Tabitha, which means gazelle in Aramaic, or Dorcas, which means gazelle in Greek. She didn't have two names. She lived in a city where there were people that spoke both Greek and Aramaic. And depending on what language they were talking to her in, they called her Tabitha or they called her Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they washed her and laid her in an upper room, so when someone would die, immediately they would wash the body, prepare the body, and they would lay it out. They did this for Dorcas or for Tabitha. And since Lida was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them out, and they knelt down. He knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa, with Simon a tanner. Father in heaven, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the scripture, and we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our minds. Lord, as the apostle Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, open the eyes of our understanding that we would be able to see. Lord, give us eyes to see Jesus, to see the gospel and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, give us eyes to see the miracle that we need. Not just a, a miracle of physical healing that we may need. Not just a miracle of deliverance from a situation or a circumstance that is beyond our control. Give us eyes to see the greatest miracle we need. That is the miracle of salvation in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would do this and that you would change us and transform us, that you would mold us and shape us into a people that give witness to you in this world, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter goes to, he goes to Lydda, and he encounters a man named Aeneas. We don't know how he encounters him. Peter is going. He's preaching the gospel. He's taken to Aeneas, and he prays for Aeneas, who has been a paralytic and bedridden for eight years. And Peter says, Aeneas, arise 
take up your bed, make your bed. And that's exactly what happened. Peter, when he encounters this bedridden paralytic, commands him to arise. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And the Bible says that Aeneas arose immediately. In these verses I just read, Luke records these two miraculous events performed through the apostle Peter. The healing of Aeneas and the restoration of life of Tabitha reveals to us the miracle-working power of God. Aeneas was paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Tabitha was dead. They were both beyond human help. They were both beyond helping themselves, obviously. They needed the intervention of God. They needed a miracle. This is what a miracle is. As we consider the subject of miracles, there are miracles we desire. We pray for people every week. We desire friends and loved ones that we know who are suffering with circumstances and situations and conditions that are beyond their ability to fix that are beyond human ability, beyond medical science. And our desire for our friends and loved ones and the people we pray for, our desire is for them to receive a miracle. So there are miracles we desire. There are miracles we need. There are miracles that others need. Consider Aeneas and Tabitha and Peter. These three characters that we see in this story I just read to you, in this account I just read to you. There is no doubt Aeneas desired a miracle. How could you be bedridden for eight years, paralyzed, and not desire a miracle? Tabitha's friends desired a miracle for her. She was beyond desire, she was dead. I believe Peter desired the miracles that God gave to these two individuals. So there is the miracle that we desire. In the case of Aeneas and Tabitha, the miracle desired was the miracle received. As we all know and as we have all experienced, the miracle we desire is not always the miracle we receive. We have all desired miracles either for ourselves or for others that we have not received. We read the account of these two notable miracles, but we must also realize that there were many other potentially notable miracles happening all around them at the same time that did not occur. In other words, Aeneas was not the only paralytic. Tabitha was not the only person who had died. The miracle we desire may or may not be the miracle we, re we receive. And that has nothing to do with God's love for us. 
And it has nothing to do with God's mercy and God's compassion. You say, then what does it have to do with Pastor Jeff? Well, it has everything to do with his will and his purpose, of which we are all a part. God's will and purpose transcends our own desire. It transcends our own need. It transcends our life. It transcends our time stamp here. And it touches countless others now and in the future. That's what God's will and purpose does. It touches us. It touches countless others now and in the future. This is the work from beginning to end that we cannot find out, at least for now. We can guess God's will. Sometimes God's will is clearly revealed to us. It's clearly revealed to us in his word. But when we desire miracles, when we need miracles, and when we pray for miracles, we don't always know what God's will is. And people get miracles or they don't get miracles based on God's will. There's no other way you can look at this. God is not up in heaven going, well, you know, I really wanted to give you that miracle, but you just, you almost had enough faith, but you didn't quite make it. So I couldn't give it to you. But I really, really, really wanted to. That is not how God works. That's the way we want to think he works sometimes. Because we want to think that ultimately our miracle is dependent upon us. And ultimately, our miracle is not dependent upon us. Remember, I just said we're all part of God's will. We're all part of God's plan and part of God's purpose. So our will, our faith, yes, it plays a part in God's plan and God's purpose. But ultimately, we're not the ones in control. God is. And we need to have faith in that. We need to trust in that reality and that truth. As you can imagine, Aeneas was not the only lame paralytic and Tabitha was not the only person to die. It has been said, I hear it more frequently than I would like, it has been said that if God truly heals and if he uses men in that healing, he would send them into morgues and hospitals and raise the dead and heal the sick. This is what critics say. This is what atheists say. This is what unbelievers say. To discount the reality of God. As if, if God really did heal, then that's obviously what he would do. But that's obviously not what God does. Those types of statements are made by men who do not only, not only do they not know God, they have placed themselves, they have put themselves in the very place of God. So we have the miracle that we desire, we also have the miracle that we need. God is moved by our need. You, do you believe that? But let's think for a moment. Let's go back to 
the children of Israel in Egypt. Go back to the Exodus story. And you'll notice if you read in Exodus, God was moved by the need of the children of Israel in Egypt as soon as it became apparent. No. I mean, God, God, gave them a, God gave them a few years to see whether Pharaoh was going to change his mind or not when that evil Pharaoh came. And when it became apparent that that guy was not the same Pharaoh and he was going to be mean to his people, God immediately moved to deliver them. No. He didn't. In fact, the Bible says God waited over 400 years. Do you know our nation's not even 400 years old yet? God waited over 400 years, and the cry of his people came up. It didn't take 400 years for the cry of his people to come up. God knew, God heard, God saw the cry and the need of his people long before they were aware of it. But God waited 400 years. Here with Aeneas, God waited eight years, and let that man languish in a bed, paralyzed for eight years. God is moved by our need when he is moving in his will, according to his purpose. Why did God wait eight years to heal Aeneas? Why did God wait until Tabitha was dead and to heal her? Because it was his will. God moves in his time according to his will as he is working out all things according to his purpose. Just because we think we are the center of the universe doesn't make us the center of the universe. You know, people used to think the earth was the center of the universe and then they found out different. The earth didn't stop becoming the center of the universe once people realized that it really wasn't. Just because we think we are the center of the universe, just because we think what God does revolves around us, doesn't make it so. And the longer we live thinking that life revolves around us, the more miserable we're going to be in life. And the longer we're going to live in that misery. Because God will let us languish in that misery if that's what it takes for us to realize, wait. Maybe I'm not the center of the universe like I thought I was. For whatever reason, and the Bible doesn't tell us, but it does tell us this. Aeneas was paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Tabitha got sick and died. And it was after eight years, and it was after death, that they received their miracle. God works in our lives and in the lives of others through situations and circumstances. God works through our situations and our circumstances. He does this directly and indirectly in real time and across time. God's interaction in our lives is not a series of reactions to our need. You do realize that, right? God is not up in heaven to react to our needs. God's not up there to put out our fires. God is not up there at our bidden call. 
God's not up there waiting to see how he can serve us. Though that is very often how human beings live their lives. God always knows our need. You do realize that, right? He always knows our need. But God, God doesn't always meet our need the way we want or when we want. God's interaction in our lives is not a series of reactions to our need. It's not God's will that serves our need, but rather it is our need that serves God's will. Did you know that Aeneas, the condition of Aeneas, bedridden, paralyzed for eight years, that his condition, his need, served the will of God. Tabitha getting sick and Tabitha dying served the will of God. God distributes gifts to men to be used according to his will, not their own. The gift of healing, the working of miracles, is not for the purpose of ridding humanity of sickness and sorrow. We want to believe it's for that. We want to believe that we can get this power and just use it as we will and any time we want in any way we want. But that's not how it works. Though men are the beneficiaries, hear what I'm saying. Aeneas was the beneficiary of that miracle. Tabitha was the beneficiary of that miracle. And so were a lot of people around them. Though men are the beneficiaries, God performs miracles according to his will. For his purpose and for his Glory alone. This is also true when God does not perform the miracles we desire or the miracles we need. Do you hear me, church? It's easy to look at the miracle performed and say, oh, God's purpose was achieved. But nobody wants to look at the miracle that was not performed and say, God's purpose was achieved. Because we don't want to believe that God's purpose can be achieved in the not miracle. We don't want to accept that God's purpose can be achieved when we don't get what we desire or even what we may need. But I promise you it is. Peter healing Aeneas and restoring life to Tabitha was not according to Peter's will. It was not according to Peter's purpose, but it was according to God's. There was a desire and a need present. It was no doubt Peter's desire to see the hand of God move in the need of these individuals. And Peter no doubt had faith in the powerful name of Jesus because he uses that name to affect that healing. But ultimately... It was the will and purpose of God working through desire and need and faith that brought about the miracle. But it would have never happened without the will and the purpose of God dictating all things. 
As we begin to understand this truth, we begin to understand that it is the will and purpose of God that governs all things. When God grants the miracle, it is according to the working out of his will and purpose. Listen. When God does not grant the miracle, it is according to the working out of his will and purpose. The fact that we may desire and even need a miracle does not necessitate God's action on our behalf. God's action as well as his seeming inaction is never dictated by our need or the needs of those around us, but it is always dictated by his will. It is always according to his purpose. So there is always the miracle we desire. There is the miracle that we need, and there is the miracles that others need. A miracle is never only about the person receiving it. It's about the time for God's purpose in the life of the person in need, but also in the lives of others, not just those immediately around the person in need. I mean, if you can imagine, Aeneas had a family. Tabitha had friends and family. She obviously was a widow, so she had her group of widows. She was a disciple, the Bible says. She had her church family. And the miracle she received, the miracle Aeneas received, affected those immediately around them. But guess what? It affected a whole lot of other people. God has a time and a purpose for all things. The words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes reminds us of this truth. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And verse 11 goes on to say, He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. I always want to say he has made everything beautiful in his time, but actually what the scripture says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. There is a difference. I mean, its time is his time. But I think it's important that God says he has made everything beautiful in its time. In other words, there is a time for everything to be made beautiful. Your worst fear, your worst disaster, the miracle you do not get, the miracle your loved one doesn't get, the, the thing you're believing for, the thing you're desiring, guess what? God has a time in which he will make it beautiful. It's hard for us to believe, but that's exactly what the scripture says. He has made everything. It doesn't say he's made almost everything. It doesn't say that he's made most things. It says he has made everything beautiful in its time. There is a time when God will make all things beautiful. Yes, even the thing that you can't imagine being beautiful. This is what the resurrection does. This is the miracle that God has brought into the world through Jesus Christ. There is a time for every purpose. 
in his purpose, there is a work God is doing that goes from beginning to end. Listen to what, look at what it says in verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. What did it take to come to that place, that moment in time when Aeneas is laying in his bed paralyzed and the apostle Peter walks into the room and raises him up through the miracle working power of God? What do you realize what had to transpire for that moment to happen? What had to transpire throughout history from the beginning of creation, from the time God created Adam and put him on the earth and put him in the garden and the fall took place and all of the things that happened. Then there's Aeneas, bedridden eight years and the miracle happens. There's Tabitha, sick and she dies. And they wash her body and they lay her out. And someone says, Peter, Peter's in Leiden. He just did a great miracle. Go get Peter. And they run and they get Peter and Peter comes and he speaks to Tabitha and he says, Tabitha, arise. And she gets up and she's presented alive to her family and to her friends. What did it take for those moments to transpire and here we are 2,000 years later, and guess what we're doing? We're talking about those remote events that happened in remote little towns in Judea. And here we are today. And when I said the miracle is not just about the person who receives it, but it's about others, and not just the family and the friends of those who needed the miracle, but look at us today. We are still today being touched by Aeneas and by Tabitha and by the miracles that were performed. And we don't even know who these people are. We just have their names. But yet, God is still using. So you want to think about eight years of being a paralytic in the, in the bed. But yet, here we are today talking about that paralytic. Here is the woman that got sick and died. Surely God could have kept her from dying. Surely God could have kept her from getting sick to begin with. But yet here we are talking about her today. There's a time for every purpose. In his purpose, there is a work God is doing that goes from beginning to end. It encompasses all time. It stretches infinitely in all directions. And it touches and includes all people in all creation. In time, someone took Peter to Aeneas. And from a desire for healing according to his will and purpose, God healed the paralytic. That miracle was so notable that word of it began to spread as people saw the healed Aeneas, the man who was eight years bedridden. From that miracle, touching so many people, word of Peter's presence in Lydda spread to nearby Joppa where a disciple named Tabitha died. And she was no doubt beloved by all and her death created a desire for God to do a miracle. And Peter was brought to Joppa to the washed, lifeless body of Tabitha. 
And all the widows, when you read it, all the widows are there in the room with the the lifeless body of Tabitha stretched out there. And all the widows are showing Peter the garments and the tunics and the things that she had made. They're trying to build the case for Peter that she's worth saving. She's worth a miracle, Peter. Surely God, look, look at all, look at all the good things. She's such a good person, did so many good works. You do realize that's not why Tabitha got the miracle, right? We don't get miracles because we're good enough to to merit them because we're not good enough. We don't get miracles because we've worked our way to miracle receiving status because we can't work our way to miracle receiving status. There's no such thing. Peter puts them all out of the room. He kneels down, he prays, he commands Tabitha to arise, and guess what? God restored her to life. For Aeneas, there was a purpose for those eight years of bedridden paralytic. For Tabitha, there was a purpose for her death. It's easy to see now as we're able to look back after the healing and after the restoration It's not easy to see in the moment of suffering and death. Imagine the moment Aeneas becomes a bedridden paralytic. Imagine the prayers that were prayed for him. Imagine the hope that this is temporary. But yet day after day. There was no hospice then. There was no home health care then. This family had to deal with the reality of that paralyzed man. If he had a family, the Bible doesn't tell us. Hopefully he did. And hour by hour, day after day, this family, this man has to deal with his condition for eight years. But now we read the story 2,000 years later And we can see, oh, God had a purpose there. Look what God did through that miracle. It's easy to see now that we're able to look back. It's not easy to see in the moment of suffering and death. From these two miracles, many others were touched. The miracle desired, the miracle Aeneas and Tabitha needed was the miracles that others also needed. The scripture reveals to us the effect those miracles had on others. Acts 9, 34 and 35, And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Two cities turned to the Lord as a result of this miracle. Acts 9, 41 and 43, Tabitha is raised up from the dead. Then he gave her his hand, lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. What's he doing there? Relaxing by the seashore? No, he's preaching the gospel. He's teaching. He's he's discipling those who came to the Lord as a result of the miracle. From those two miracles, 
Many lives were touched. Many turned to the Lord. And many believed on the Lord. And those two miracles are still touching lives today. All over the world. And that brings us to the greatest miracle we all need. The greatest miracle we all need is salvation. But do you know what? It's not the miracle we desire. When you're bedridden paralytic laying in the bed for eight years, you know what? You desire the miracle. But the Bible says we're born into sin and death. We are dead. We are darkness. The Bible actually says it's best. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none, in o -N -E, none who seeks after God. Oh. Now, we just talked about the miracle you desire. And the miracle you need, do you know they're not always the same thing? Like I told the children, we all need the miracle. And many times it's not the miracle we think we need. We're looking at our situation and our circumstance and we're going, we need a miracle. And God's going, you need a miracle much bigger than that. And we can't see it and we don't even desire it because we haven't received the miracle yet. Because according to the scripture, there is none who seeks after God. How are we going to get the miracle if we're not even seeking for it? Was Tabitha seeking for it? No, she wasn't. She was dead. Was Aeneas seeking for it? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But you know what? There's a good chance that after eight years of laying in a bed, a paralytic, he may have resolved himself that that's kind of his condition. It's possible. There's none who seeks after God. In other words, there is none who desire God. Until God does the miracle none of us desire, we have no desire for such a miracle. Our salvation is the greatest miracle anyone could ever receive. And this is why it's so great. Because it is the miracle that comes from God. It is the miracle that changes us. It doesn't just change our circumstance. It doesn't just change our condition. It changes us to the core. So much so that the Bible says when we receive this miracle, we become new creations. The Bible says all things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. It doesn't mean when you receive the miracle, you become perfect. It doesn't mean all your problems are over. But it does mean there is a change that has taken place. And that change has got to work its way out from the inside and ultimately be manifest on the outside. In other words, if you've received the miracle of the new birth in Jesus Christ, there is a change that takes place in your life. Our 
Our salvation is the greatest miracle anyone could ever receive. It is the miracle we absolutely need the most. It is the miracle we will never desire until we receive it. Why do we receive it then? The same reason we we receive any other miracle. We receive the miracle of salvation because it is according to his will and his purpose. That's why we receive any miracle. Those who believed as a result of Aeneas and Tabitha's miracle did so because it was God's will and God's purpose. Why did Aeneas remain a paralytic for eight years? Because God had a plan only he knew. A plan to not only heal Aeneas but to save countless others through that healing. Even still today, people are turning to the Lord because of Aeneas and Tabitha. This is the will and the purpose of God. You may, you may be very conscious of a miracle you need in your life. But have you received the greatest miracle of all? Have you turned to the Lord? Do you believe on his name? That's a question you have to answer. If you think it's hard answering now, you realize we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Believing in Jesus is not a suggestion God makes to us. Believing in Jesus is the command of God to creation. You believing in Jesus is not an option. It is the command. And when you do not believe in Jesus, you are disobeying the command of God. And that's not a good thing. Lip service does not save us. Only Jesus can save us. If you have confessed Jesus, have you confessed him from a heart of faith or out of your own resources or out of your own perceived need? Well, I think I'll try Jesus. I've tried everything else. Let's try Jesus. See if that works for me. We have no resource that can save us. Our confession out of desperation or out of frustration is not the same as a cry of faith from a heart that knows its sin and knows its need for a Savior. The question is, do we know our sin and do we know our need for the Savior? Jesus is not someone or something we just try to see how that's going to work out. If we know our sin, and if we know our need for the Savior, then there is no one else we can cry to. There is no one else we can go to because he alone can save us from our sin. He alone can give us life. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, the question is, do you know the miracle you need? Do you know and do you desire Jesus? Do you desire his miracle of salvation to carry you, to grow you up in him in all things? Has the miracle of a new heart given you eyes to see Jesus and to know the miracle of a new creation that has saved you and given you eternal life in Jesus? Do you know your salvation? Do you know your sin? To know your salvation, you have to know your sin. And if you know your sin, you have to know that there is salvation only, only, only 
in Jesus. You can't wash away your sin. You can't work away your sin. You can't buy off your sin. You can only cry out to Jesus, for He alone can wash away your sin. He alone can save you. I pray He has given you that greatest miracle. And if you are not sure, then cry out to Him. If you have not, then confess your sin. Confess your need for the Savior. Cry out to Him. Call upon His name. For if you do so, the promise of God is that He will save you. So church, as you trust in Jesus, trust Him now. Come to the table. And welcome to Jesus. I was reminded as we sang the song today, we rest on thee. Caleb shared this a few weeks ago when he introduced this song. You guys have ever heard of the movie, um, the, the, was it The Point of the Spear? And then there's a documentary, uh, Through the Gates of Splendor. It's the true story of Jim Elliott and his fellow missionaries that went down into South America and went to a remote tribe of Indians. They landed their little plane on a sandbar to preach the gospel to them. They had become aware of this tribe, had watched them for weeks, months, made the plans. They finally landed and were going to introduce themselves and preach the gospel. And in that moment, uh, what seemed like a warm welcome that was going to turn out well, turned tragic, and the Indian tribe killed all of the missionaries. And before they went to encounter those Indians, those unreached Indians, they sang this hymn. This was the hymn they sang, which is why the documentary is called Through the Gates of Splendor. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. Thine is the battle. Thine shall be thy, the praise. When passing through the gates of pearly splendor, Victors, we rest in thee through endless days when passing through the gates of pearly splendor. Victors, we rest in thee through endless days. Let's stand. You know, for the Elliots and those other families, that day didn't work out the way they had hoped it would. And there were long nights and long years before they saw the fruit of those men's martyrdom and sacrifice. Now we can watch the documentary and we see what God did through that and it's absolutely miraculous. Just like we can read about Aeneas and Tabitha and see what God did through them and it's absolutely miraculous. God's will and purpose does not relieve us of our responsibility. Our dependency upon God does not negate the necessity of our trust and our obedience. We are commanded to trust and obey. God does not give us all we desire. Our desires are often misplaced and too small. God does not always give us what we need when we think we need it. In fact, sometimes he seems to do just the contrary. But he always gives us what we need according to his will and the time of his purpose. 
even when we cannot see it and even when we cannot understand it. We cannot always know his will or see his purpose. And this is why we are commanded to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith keeps us looking and moving forward so that we can one day look back and see God's purpose. In Christ, this is our hope and this is our promise. Be faithful, church. Don't look at your circumstance. Look by faith and trust that God is working according to his will and according to his purpose in all things. And when life doesn't work out the way you wanted it to, the way you feel like you needed it to, keep trusting him. Because one day, one day, if not sooner than later, one day you will look back and you will see the purpose of God. You will see that he makes all things beautiful in its time. Amen.